Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Today is the day you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Today is the day you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Good morning, good morning. It's time to rise and shine. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. It is Thursday, August the 1st. Okay, today's a great reset day. Today's a great day to reset the heart, reset the mind. Um, Bible before phone. I'm thinking of some of the common rule things that uh, have been shared with us here. You know, let's do let's do the Bible before we do the phone this morning. Let's... Uh, Let's talk to God before we talk to others. These seem like really good resets for the first of August. I, I'm terrible at remembering, um, like exactly how the quarters work. So it's January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August. Oh, so we're just in the middle of the third quarter. Like we started the third quarter at the beginning of July, so we're in the middle of the third quarter. So, uh, you know, I can't really do a hey today's the beginning of a quarter because it's not. It's the beginning of something else. I don't know. It's the beginning of August, and so it's a really, really good day for a reset. It's a great day to start looking ahead. Obviously, at uh, presidential election concerns because we are embroiled in uh, debates, at least on one side of the aisle, in terms of who the candidate is going to be. And it's a good time to start thinking about school. Even if you do not have school-age people in your home, they are going to be uh, out there walking on little sidewalks, and they're going to be riding new bikes that they got over the summer, and they're, they're, they're going to be stepping into those lanes where you ordinarily drive your car. And so let's be very, very aware. School buses are out there. Kids are, <laughs> kids are at – uh-huh, I'll turn my phone off. Uh, kids are at school bus stops for the first time. They're learning the routes, all those kinds of good things, okay? So let's be very, very mindful. You're saying to yourself, nobody goes to school this early. Uh, schools in Tennessee, some of them started on the 29th. I don't know why. seems a little crazy to me. But uh, for those of you who have a whole other month before you go back to school, just just know that you're blessed to live in a community where summer lasts until Labor Day because for some of us, um, summer's now over and we're going back to school. And so we're going to talk a little bit later in today's program about how we as Christians, regardless of our age and stage of life, can pray for and support those who are in our uh, in our public schools and those who are just in the education system in general, those who are educating kids, homeschooling their kids, on and on and on. Uh, but to lead off this morning, we're going to have a conversation with Ben Johnson, a couple of conversations. He and I are going to talk about the Democratic debate, what uh, reactions to it. I'm going to specifically ask him directly, was Pete Buttigieg wrong that opposing the $15 minimum wage taunts God. If you didn't watch the Dem debate two nights ago, uh, that was uh, just straight up uh, use of scripture to slam anyone who does not support the $15 minimum wage. So that's an interesting approach in a political debate. We're also going to talk about whether or not uh, communism is compatible with Christianity, specifically Catholicism, because that is a a conversation that is going on in the culture as well. Maybe not in your part of the culture, but you should know about it. Uh, And so let me just say this about one headline, and that was the headline that we just heard that they are searching for a pilot, an American pilot, um, whose plane went down in Death Valley. People's planes are going down in Death Valley today. 
uh, metaphorically, all over the place. And so let's be tenderhearted toward one another. Let's be mindful that there are people walking around in um, deep grief, in fear of death, not knowing uh, that there's a good shepherd with whom they could walk through the valley of the shadow. And so uh, every time you hear Death Valley, I want you to also um, hear an echo of the 23rd Psalm. Every time you hear it today. And I want you to bring the gospel to bear on that conversation uh, and walk with people who are walking today in Death's Valley. Let's, uh, let's be those people today. Let's be the people who turn the conversation towards the hearts of those with whom we are walking in this life and in this world. All right, next up, Ben Johnson, the rights writer from the Acton Institute. We'll be right back. Joining me again today, Ben Johnson, The Rights Writer. That's how you find him on Twitter, at The Rights Writer. You can also find him at Acton, A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G. Ben, welcome back. Good to be with you again, Carmen. Okay, so I just want to – let's just start with, like, your hot take on uh, the Democrat debates because um, based on your Twitter feed, you watched them. I did. And, you know, I, I think that uh, as of last night, Biden did what he needed to do to maintain his front runner status. Harris really imploded. Uh, she, she really, uh, it, uh, particularly with Tulsi Gabbard, she showed absolutely no ability to deflect or to engage in, uh, in the attack that was launched upon her record, which should have been evident because she's obviously one of the four frontrunners together with Biden, Bernie, and, uh, and Elizabeth Warren. So I think uh, right now Biden and Warren are the two who are really in the driver's seat. Yeah, so I would agree. I um I also felt like uh, Pete Buttigieg made um you know he he scored some points two nights ago. Um, last night, I actually I actually felt like um, although it won't gain him any real traction in the conversation, um, I thought Bennett sounded reasonable at many points along the way, and I felt like he was trying to make um, actual substantive debate points with those who were on the stage. Um, I'm not sure that these are real debates in the way that we think about the way debate is supposed to work. Um, I mean, in terms of like how we teach kids to debate in high school or college, that's not actually what's happening up there. Um, and But I did think that Bennett did a good job trying to make points about, you know, what's true and about being honest. And um, so it, so it is an interesting process. Let's um let me go to something that happened two nights ago. Uh, and you have written about it at Acton.org. So if people want to read this article, they certainly can. This is a question about Pete Buttigieg uh, and saying that opposing the $15 minimum wage is actually taunting God, that that is it's contrary to Scripture. He actually whipped out a Bible verse in the middle of uh, of the Dem debate. I thought that was surprising. So just like for you to walk us through um, that conversation, is Pete Buttigieg right that opposing the $15 minimum wage taunts God? Well, he he couldn't be further off, but uh, at least he deserves some credit for trying to bring scripture into the into the argument. Uh, what uh, what uh, Mayor Pete had talked about, the Raise the Wage Act has been passed by the House, would raise the minimum wage to fifteen dollars an hour. So the fight for fifteen is what he's talking about. In the middle of the debate on Tuesday night, he quoted Proverbs fourteen thirty one: "Whoever oppresses the poor taunts their maker," and so he said that. Uh, so-called Christian conservative senators who are now in the Senate are blocking that bill. So he, he sort of questioned the faith of anyone and said that they were violating the Bible 
if they were if, if they opposed this bill. Uh, the trouble is, of course, to begin with, on the scriptural level, uh, just the pure exegesis of the verse couldn't be couldn't be any more wrong. In terms of oppression of the poor, if you look in the Old Testament, in in the Hebrew scriptures, whether it's in in the law or the prophets, oppression of the poor primarily is about establishing a uniform rule of justice because the the rich could pay bribes and the the poor would be denied an equal share if uh, they had a case against someone who was wealthier. In typical human nature, the wealthier people could prevail, and that was what uh, the law, that was what the Lord primarily was seeking to uh, circumvent when He talked about oppressing the poor, and He also talked about paying the poor their wages. He didn't set a minimum, though, at any place in the Old Testament. I've never found a verse that talks about paying a certain guaranteed minimum. So the idea that if you oppose it, you're against the Bible is wrong in and of itself, and then I, I think it's a bad idea for multiple reasons as well. Well, we can talk about the the reasons you think it's a bad idea. I think that when we talk about Scripture and we talk about wages, probably the parable that comes most quickly to mind for most Christians is the parable where everybody, no matter when they showed up, gets paid the same wage. And we actually, like, we we guffaw at that. We consider that just grossly, grossly unfair. Um, those are day laborers that Jesus is talking about. Um, they are obviously the poor at that stage of the game. I also think that there are people, Ben, who would immediately respond. I mean, if you're going to sort of like whip out one proof text against another, which is what it felt like, like that, that just totally feels like, hey, let me act like for just a moment I'm Baptist and I know how to wield this. Uh, I know how to play this sword game. Right. But he's Episcopalian. So he doesn't really know how to play the sword game. Right. So if you're going to whip out this Proverbs 1431, I'm I'm going to just whip right back out. And I'm just going to say, look, Jesus was really clear. The poor are always going to be with us. There is a way that um, uh, that somehow um, poverty, the reality of poverty in this life of various kinds um, is is evidence of the fallen state of of humanity. We do not overcome that without Jesus. Like we just don't. And so, you know, it might have been an opportunity for uh, Mayor Pete to uh, put on his evangelical uh, hat, but I'm not sure that he has one. So like, right, those those are some of the responses that I think evangelical Christians have when we hear somebody whip out a verse of scripture, because we certainly know how to do that, right? And we also know that that's not an effective, um, uh, that's, not, that's not effective if we're going to be honest about the full scope of scripture and our responsibility for the systems of injustice that exist today. I think you've said it precisely. You know, Mayor Pete is an Episcopalian, and he talks about his faith frequently on, on the stump. Uh, there's no doubt about it that uh, he's, he's trying to spiritualize the campaign in some way. Uh, and, of course, there's a very long history of people misusing or twisting Bible verses uh, to, to support their own political views on both sides. Don't get me wrong. Uh, this going all the way back as, as far as you possibly can. But uh, in the Bible has been used to justify slavery, been used in favor of and against gambling and so on. Uh, I've even heard the Bible quoted in favor of abortion. So people have used scriptures in order to proof text something by twisting it, taking it out of uh, context. And the scriptures tell us that uh, the scriptures are twisted under the damnation of those who do so. But what's important for us, I think, as believers in the word is to obey and to understand its full scope and to apply it appropriately. And uh, that means speaking where it speaks, being silent where it is silent. 
And there is no minimum wage proof text anywhere that says you have to pay everyone a certain amount. Uh, if you don't do this, then you're violating things. And as you as you alluded, although the, the parable isn't primarily economic, uh, when, when Jesus speaks about uh, you know, handing out uh, wages to people uh, who have labored all day, uh, you know, the, the people who got there at the first hour were ready to call in uh, the ACLU or something, get the SEIU in to, to get more. And as it turns out, what everyone is getting is the kingdom of heaven, which is a pretty good wage to, to receive whatever time you happen to show up. Uh, and the idea Amen. is that new converts are, are just as much uh, just as much in the kingdom of heaven as people who have labored from the first hour. The younger brother who returns is as much welcome as the, the older brother who's labored the entire time. So, so that's you know, that's that's the idea is that we should obey the word. We shouldn't twist it or use it for our own means. We we should be under the word. We should not be uh, over top of the word, using it for our own uh, vices. Oh, I love that. I do appreciate that. Um, searches for proverbs like went crazy after he referenced it. Like people Googled it like crazy, and so maybe people are reading the book of Proverbs today, particularly the fourteenth chapter, where we are reminded, among other things, that an honest witness does not deceive, but a false witness pours out lies. All right, more next with Ben Johnson. He and I are going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is my right, a right given by God. That's the walk-up music for Ben Johnson, even though he walked up a few minutes ago. So welcome back, my friend. Uh, he is online, The Rights Writer. You can find him at The Rights Writer on Twitter. You can also find him at Acton, A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G, where, among other things, you will find this intriguing piece entitled, There is no Catholic case for communism. So it's a whole lot more fun, Ben, for me to pose it as a question. Um, ben, is there a Christian, specifically Catholic, case to be made for communism? No on both counts. Uh, there is absolutely no case to be made in favor of communism for, for several reasons. Uh, the fact that we're even asking the question, though, I, I think is a, a, a tribute to the triumph of communist PR, uh, the fact that they have probably the most wonderful reputation. Socialism and communism are considered to be uh, forms of, of, of just being nice to one another, sharing. Uh, there have been several studies that have shown that young people associate words like nice or caring for others with words like communism and socialism. Communism, of course, is the most deadly form of government that has ever reigned in human history, as far as I know of. 100 million deaths in 100 years, and of course, the, the toll is still going up in North Korea and China and Cuba. So communism is, first of all, it is innately secular. Uh, Karl Marx referred to religion as the opiate of the people. Vladimir Lenin uh, did the same. He tried his best to eradicate uh, the entire Christian faith. Atheism was officially taught in schools from one end of the communist world to the other. Uh, in every single country where they took over, they tried to destroy the church, both literally in, in terms of destroying the church, sending uh, pastors, priests, nuns, uh, people of faith who were who were lay people who were distributing the Bible to prisons and gulags, and uh, often, all too often, to the firing squad, in order to eradicate uh, the faith of Jesus Christ and other faiths as well. Any faith other than the faith of radical communism and socialism. Uh, second of all, the the uh, the economic view isn't in harmony with human nature. It's not in harmony with what we know about fallen humankind, which is that we we are by nature fallen and sinful in terms of uh, having come from. Uh, the uh, there are some Christians who would deny with the, who would be, argue with the use of the word by nature, so I, I should I should qualify that. But uh, we are all we are all born into this world now with a tendency to be more sinful than we are to be uh, to be 
uh, All right, on our show, on our show, you're just allowed to say we're totally depraved. There we go. There we go. So uh, very, very Calvinist. Yes. Uh, so there we have it. Uh, but yeah, uh, anyone following the Westminster Catechism or Luther certainly would have no trouble with their use of the word nature. Wesleyans or others might have uh, some difficulty with it. But but the point being, everyone is born with uh, a tendency to uh, to sin. And the more power that you give to a sinful human being, the more likely that they are to exercise it in sinful ways. Uh, we've seen that play out. That's why there is every time that socialism and communism uh, come to the fore, ultimately it, they end up turning into complete despotism. And uh, their apologists end up saying, oh, that really wasn't socialism. That really wasn't communism after all. We've never had a, a good example in the entire hundred-year history of, of communism of one good, successful communist or socialist country. Uh, for some reason, uh, they all fall they all fall to human depravity in exactly the same predictable manner of first confiscating all wealth, then destroying all opposition now that they have no ability to defend themselves or go anywhere else, and ultimately turning on themselves, uh, whether it's the Jacobin Revolution during the French Revolution or the Bolsheviks during the Russian Revolution or every other communist experiment in the history of mankind. Uh, to try and square that with Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, who teaches the innate human dignity and freedom of everyone in, in his uh, holy and glorious reign is absolutely impossible, whether you're coming at it from a Protestant or a Catholic or an Eastern Orthodox or an Anglican view or any other church denomination that is uh, authentically Christian. So I think, um, Ben, to bring this forward so that people can understand what's happening around the globe today and and remi be reminded that um, China is a communist country. We're talking when we're talking about this conversation, we're talking about what's happening in Hong Kong right now. We have a people who were, um, you know, they spent they spent more than a hundred years under British rule. Uh, they are of a, of a Western mindset. They believe in the rule of law. They believe in justice in the same way that we think about it. Um, but but they are now ruled and governed by a communist country. They are technically a part of China. And China uh, is it, it sees no, not only no freedom of speech and no freedom of their ability to protest, but there's no Second Amendment. And so it's not as if the people who are currently protesting against um, this communist approach to uh, a justice system where they it's 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 absolutely unjust by any sort of Christian understanding of the concept. Um, you know, the ability of people to protest against that. I mean, you could point back to the French Revolution, but I think we can point right now to Hong Kong and say, where does this situation go when you have a people who understand that they are free and they are individuals um, and you have a government that says, oh, no, you're not? Hong Kong is a perfect example of what how communism always ends up. It's, it's persecuting people who strive to live in freedom. And Hong Kong is, is perhaps the most uh, pointed example because of the history of uh, British colonial rule and, and uh, their understanding of the rule of law and basic uh, the, the understanding of innate human freedom. But it's true across the entire vast breadth of China. Uh, if you look at the Uyghurs, mm -hmm. or of course Muslims being placed in concentration camps or Protestant churches, home churches being demolished, or the, the very subtle takeover of the uh, Roman Catholic Church, where you had uh, faithful Catholic cardinals who have been essentially uh, defenestrated by the Vatican uh, in favor of cardinals who've been chosen by the government and, and who are essentially under the government thumb, who are puppets for Beijing. You see this complete and utter eradication of true Christian faith. Anything that uh, recognizes a power higher than the state is innately 
and inherently a challenge uh, to a secular ideology such as communism. So you see it across the vast breadth, and that's just one country of things that are being reported widely across the news today, uh, let alone uh, the, the history of 100 years or what's happening in North Korea, which is very difficult to get news out of, or uh, any other time in human history. If you just look at what's happening in what is what it had been a relatively a freer market of, of a, a, a communist country, and yet Xi Jinping is is using a, a freer market in order uh, to uh, to terrorize his own people and deny their own freedoms. So mm. that's that's what's happening across the world in the name of communism. Uh, to to say that that somehow reflects Christian values because it challenges capitalism, uh, or because uh, because certain people don't make fifteen dollars an hour, or or they're varied uh, varied uh, human rights uh, uh, violations in in some parts of the third world and so on in the name of of capitalism uh, i think these 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 are entirely separate cases there is a vast gaping gulf between uh, supporting a totalitarian atheistic ideology and being against uh, the idea of children laborers absolutely all right ben you and i are going to have to leave it right there last night people uh, googled um, proverbs during the Democratic debate today during my show. They're now um, Googling defenestration. We'll come back and define it. <laughs> hey, thanks, my friend. Um, thanks for joining us. Um, be, come come join us again, okay? Thanks so much. Absolutely. All right, I got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. All right. So defenestration, in case you're not familiar, like sort of the the actual formal uh, but also humorous definition is the action of throwing someone out of a window. And so when um, uh, when Ben Johnson is talking about the defenestration of Catholic priests in China, he's not actually talking about the physical throwing them uh, out a window. He is talking uh, about the way in which the process has been so perverted by communism that the communists are actually choosing on behalf of the Catholic Church who the priest will be. So it's an action of dismissing someone from a position of power or authority um, and doing uh, doing so in a way that, you know, has the effect of uh, throwing them out the window. Now, it does start, defenestration, the definition, by an act of throwing someone out of a window, particularly a member of the clergy. So there you go. Uh, don't, don't, don't do that. Okay. So uh, this is an anti-defenestration moment on Mornings with Carmen. Hey, uh, next up, Peter Kapsner. Uh, he and I will have all kinds of things that probably should be thrown out the window. But we are going to talk about um, uh, the Fortnite championship. We're also going to talk about Joshua Harris. Uh, many of you have actually texted and said, hey, hey, when are you going to talk about purity culture? When are you going to talk about Joshua Harris and the denunciation or renunciation ren renunciation of faith in Jesus Christ? Um, and that leading to the walking away from his marriage and sort of the uh, the concentric circles of devastation that that then leads, leads leaves behind for those who have followed him in terms of an evangelical Christian leader. So we're going to have that conversation. Uh, it's a difficult one to have, but it's important. You and I have to be able um, to talk about these things and address these concerns. So that's up next here with Peter Kapsner. All right. I know I told you that Peter Kapsner was up next and that we were going to be talking about Joshua Harris and purity culture, but I lied. Um, actually, up right now is Kathy Branzell, the president of the National Day of Prayer, and my good friend um, who is waiting patiently right now for us to get her on the line because I had my agenda for the morning um, a little backwards. So um, Kathy Branzell, just for those of you who don't know, 
She spent uh, her early career as an educator. She taught for 10 years in elementary schools, and then she taught in uh, the education departments at the University of Georgia and Fayetteville State University. She started her ministry journey as the founder and president of Fellowship and Christian Encouragement. If you spell that all out, it spells FACE, F-A-C-E. So it's the Fellowship uh, and Christian Encouragement for Educators, where for over 17 years, she wrote weekly devotionals to equip and encourage educators. And so I thought it would be really fun, since FACE is uh, is engaged in 130,000 public and private schools across, uh, or with 130,000 private and public school educators across the country. I thought it would be fun to bring Kathy on at the beginning of the school year and say, okay, how can we encourage our educators um, and how can we, you know, sort of be good be good friends to our to the schools in our communities. So, Kathy, welcome back. Hey, good morning. I'm so sorry. I sometimes get myself mixed up in terms of who's coming on when. So, oh, welcome to humanity. Uh, yeah. I'm glad that you've joined us. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I'm super. I am like superhuman this week in the not positive way. Uh, here like, you. right, extraordinarily human. Okay, so I just want to just straight up ask the question: like, as people are returning to school. How can we, how should we, how might we be praying for our schools and those who are um, educating our kids? And then, um, and then we'll do some follow-ups to that. But let's just start there. What are some practical ways that we can positively engage with and pray for our schools? Oh, that, there's so many ways. And, and so the first thing I would say is, uh, is pray continually. So, I mean, it's crazy to me that school has already started where I live. You know, um, in Georgia, I think over five counties have already started school. So school buses are running through. So anytime that you see a school bus or you drive through a school zone for the whole school year, just pray for them. And with that, then I would say uh, praying for our teachers, praying for the decision makers, praying for students, that they will be guided and they'll be guarded um, by God, that they would feel safe and that they would feel loved so that their brain can turn on and learn and teach because a lot of people don't live um, in a place where it's safe. Their family doesn't feel safe. Their circumstances don't feel safe. And so that puts them in a fight-or-flight situation, and all logical brain functions shut down because they're just trying to feel safe and that they be loved. And so then that's when life opens up. And you want students to be able to learn and grow to be who um, God designed them to be and then to do what Jesus authored them to do. And so with that, you want to pray for practical things like uh, you want to make sure that the students have school supplies, that they have warm clothing, that uh, the school district has funding for good transportation, that there are, you know, clean, clean situations that when we were doing face for educators and teachers were praying uh, at their schools, (laughs) it was, there was a certain school district up in the Northeast that the teachers had to provide toilet paper for the school. That was a school supply that their school district was so poor, they couldn't even provide toilet paper in the bathrooms. And so, you know, just pray for just the essentials like that. And then great things like computers and tablets and all the things that we need in this digital age. So I'm making a list. Um, yeah. And, and I also, um, 
I, I'm struck, Kathy, now. I mean, like, I don't even have to. There was a time when, like, you'd have to, like, go to the school to get the list, right? You actually, like, oh, yeah. you know, had, that might have yep. felt slightly out of your way if you weren't, um, you know, if your kid wasn't in that school in that year, why would you do that? But now, uh, I, I don't, you know, Walmart's making it easy. Staples is making it easy. I walk into um, mm-hmm. really any big box store right now, and in my local, whatever my local community schools are asking for and needing, whatever they are asking families to provide, there are lists posted right there. You walk in the door and it's like you grab the kindergarten list or you grab the sixth grade list or whatever. So one of the things that I um, I think is fun, and you know this is sort of help people understand what my definition of fun is, like right. So go go and get one of those lists and completely load it up. First of all, it is it is. Uh, astonishing how expensive it is to send a kid back to school with all Absolutely. of the supplies that are now required of them on that list. So let's just start yeah. with that. And let's just start with the number yeah. of families in our communities that cannot afford that. Um, right. But so, so it's a good, um, it's a good educational piece for each and every one of us. Uh, and then go to the school and to that particular teacher and say, these are all the supplies for one kindergarten student or for one mm-hmm. second grade student or whatever, whatever it is. Um, right. Because there will be a student who shows up with nothing, right? And you and and you don't need to know who the kid is, and you don't need nope. to get all the glory of having met the family and all of that. This is not like you know taking turkeys to people's porches on Thanksgiving. Um, this is you doing what is necessary, and and it enables a kid to start the school year without shame. Absolutely. And so let's just do that. Let's just be the anti-shame people. And in addition to um, walking around and putting all of that in the cart and praying for that kid because that's what I do. That's what that's what I like to do. I like to walk around. I like to collect all the supplies, particularly for a kindergarten student, but you can do it for any age group. And I like to, as I'm, you know, as I'm picking out which, you know, which box of crayons or whatever, um, I'm praying for that kid. I'm praying for the little hands that are going to hold yeah. that, you know, burnt sienna and learn how to spell that word. Right? I don't even know if that's a color anymore. But you get oh, my that's, point. That's one of my favorite colors. That's funny. Oh. So, well, there and, you go. And beyond that, so because we all love to go buy crayons and markers. You know, those are the fun school supplies. But I remember my daughter and son, freshman year of high school, their math class calculator cost over a hundred dollars. A hundred. I nobody can do that. Who can do that? And so, uh, you know what? Go find out what that special function calculator is and and buy it. Or you know, uh, go to the teacher. Um, and give them that Walmart, that Staples, that whatever your favorite box store is, um, gift card and say, I know there's going to be kids in your class who couldn't afford these things. And so here's $50, here's $20, whatever you can give, here is a gift card for you and for your classroom. I would be huge. I love that. I love uh, that. And then beyond that, so think through the year. Uh, think about uh, uh, as the weather gets cold in some of the areas, um, especially especially up there, uh, uh, way up north, in the winter that would, people had last year. So, what about coats and hats? Uh, you know, what what are the ongoing needs? Go talk to a teacher. Go talk to a principal. Go talk to a superintendent, and find out what the needs are. One of the greatest needs that we found out in our uh, county was the huge number of students who went home on Friday. Um, after they ate their free lunch at school and did not eat again until they ate their free breakfast on Monday. And these kids were shoving uh, crackers and ketchup, um, little packets of ketchup in their pockets on Friday afternoon in the lunchroom. 
and that's what they were going to eat. And so we got churches together to get food together um, in backpacks that would feed a family of five throughout the weekend. And we sent those home every weekend in a, in, you know, a plain backpack, not in a, some sort of bag that would identify them. And it, we were feeding kids. And so it's healthcare, you know, what is it after school clubs? If you can teach a person to read and you can teach a person to speak English, you will change their lives. You will change the direction of their lives. Um, a lot of people don't know it, but states determine how many prisons they're going to need in the future by looking at their current population of students who are not reading at grade level, at a third grade or above reading level. And mm. so, you know, go go once a, once a month and be a tutor. Uh, whatever you can do to volunteer to change lives, there's so much you can do, but we need to be praying every day. And as a teacher, uh, and, and sometimes even as a parent, you can sponsor a Christian club on campus. And so there's lots of students. There's a, a great movement of students in ministry right now. We have to remember there's no junior Holy Spirit. And mm. so those that are following Christ, they're following Christ just like an adult. They're indwelled with that Holy Spirit, and they want to be in their schools claiming their campus for Christ. And so there's the Claim Your Campus student movement. You can um, uh, go uh, on their website and, and find out about them. There's students making waves uh, in, on their campus, and so you can help to sponsor or support a Christian club on campus or an after-school club. And um, before, after school, there's lots of different ways you can encourage your student, your grandkid, your neighbor to be involved in that so that they have a strong support group claiming their campus for Christ. All right. You and I, Kathy, are going to continue this conversation in just a minute, but we have to take a quick break. This is Kathy Branzell. She is now the president of the National Day of Prayer. She has a long litany of uh, extraordinary other things that she has done. Um, She and I have spent time together praying for not only our country, but ministries across the country and one another as women in ministry. And so uh, Kathy is a dear friend and a sister in Christ. Uh, and I'm just excited to be able to talk with her, even if, you know, like publicly in front of other people. Like this is like letting people in on the stuff we'd be talking about anyway. So uh, Kathy Branzell and I'll be right back. A recent study published by the University of Minnesota found that in the presence of money, even monopoly money, people become more selfish. Hi, this is Callie Breeze with Thrivent, helping you be wise and thrive. I was fascinated by the results of this study. In it, they asked several people to work on a project together. When money was placed in the room, people were less helpful to each other. They wanted to achieve goals on their own, and they were more antisocial. It's true, money and material things make it easier to live independently. But then we feel like we don't really need others all that much. God wants us to live in community. As Paul says to the Galatians, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. When we live in community, we can help each other in times of need and share our time, talents, and treasures with others. I'm Callie Breeze with Thrivent, helping you be wise and thrive. Kathy Branzell is here. She is the president of the National Day of Prayer. And so she is, um, Kathy, if you wanted people to know one thing about you, my guess is it's not what you do. 
my guess is it would be something about who you are. So um, what would be the one thing you would want listeners today to know about you and how can uh, we be praying for you? Wow. So um, I had been thinking a lot over the last couple of years of what would I want said at my funeral? Uh, what, what stories would I want told about me? That would carry through. And the one thing that I would want to say um, that people would say who I am is that I love, that I love well, that I love God and I love my neighbor, that I just every day am looking for ways to touch somebody's life to say you matter, that God loves you and I love you. So I, I would ask that people would pray for those opportunities every day and and then would ask that they would look for that themselves every night when I lay down my last thoughts my last conversation with God is what did I learn today and how did I love today and that is a great way to live I'm writing that one down um last thought before I go to bed each night um how did I love God today oh what did I learn Mm -hmm. yeah what did I learn because God's mm-hmm. always teaching us we're disciples. That that word is student. And so in talking about back to school, uh, you know, we're always in school. A disciple is a student. And so what did I learn today and how did I love today? Mm. And that, those are the last reflections I have with God. What did you did? Were you trying to teach me something today? And I missed it. So speak your servants listening. You have my full attention. My lights are off. My phone is gone. I, it's just, you know, you and me, God. And um, and so what did I what did I learn? What do you want to teach me? And, and how do I, how did I love? And our schools need love. Our students, our teachers, our administrators, they need love. They need to know they're appreciated. Every human being walks around wanting to be acknowledged. You know, they don't, nobody wants to be invisible. They need to be acknowledged. They need to be affirmed. They need to be appreciated. And we all need affection. Okay, you're good at alliteration. Acknowledged, I love affirmed. It. Okay, I missed one. Affection was the fourth one. Appreciated. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I talked to him for I... a while, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're just going to work on the A's. There you go. There you right? go. Right? Yes. So I think, you know, I think, Kathy, one of the things that I love about you is that you are a student who is never satisfied with mm-hmm. um, the amount of knowledge that you have, like about about people, about um, uh, about the way the mm-hmm. body works. Like, I mean, you're you've got some 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 layers to your brilliance, Onion. That uh, you, you know, we don't have time to talk about here today. But if people Google Kathy Branzell, particularly the books that she's written. Um, yeah, you're going to know, uh, listeners that she's a smarty pants in addition to (laughs) being a prayer warrior and an agitator of other Christians, like, right. That you are, you are, I mean, and and I I use agitation in a very positive way, like, right. Like you are moving. Yeah. We're not stagnant. We gotta, we gotta be moving. We gotta be in the, in the shake of things. Yeah. You do not stand still. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Shaking it up. Yeah, so um, so you mentioned the book, so I'll, I'll just uh, yeah, say one great good. thing that you could do. Uh, I have a three three sixty five day devotional book for teachers called An Apple a Day, um, and so have gotten a lot of um, really kind feedback about that. And if you want to encourage a teacher, buy them an apple a day so that they can start their day with Jesus. They start their day in Scripture, and there are actual prayers written for every single day to bless that teacher. Oh, I love that. All right. 
So 365-day uh, devotional for teachers mm-hmm. and Apple a yeah. Day by Kathy Branzell. That is actually like a good action point. I love that. There People will love that. They, they, Yeah. So we're going to be praying. We're going to be praying intentionally. We're going to be praying yep. every single day. Um, we're going to be asking that our teachers would be guided and guarded and our students as well, that our students would feel safe and loved in order that they would be in a position to learn. We're going to pray about how we can meet the needs in our um, in our local schools for our teachers and students by providing not only essentials, but sometimes those ex- those things that seem extravagant but are also required for learning. And we are going to acknowledge, affirm, appreciate and show affection for uh, our teachers, administrators and students this school year. Is that at least a good start? That's a great start. And remember, you don't have to do this all on your own. Jesus never, ever, ever sent his disciples out by themselves, just one. So you know what? As you're standing at the bus stop, talk to other moms and dads and say, hey, I've got this idea. What if we together, you know, get 10 people together, go up your street because you're all in the same Mm. school district. You know, go to your church, go to other churches, build a hub that prays, that cares, and that shares uh, the gospel, you know, with the school. And I let them that. know that they're loved and appreciated. Yep. I love that. All right, Kathy Brenzel, thank you so very much. Uh, we got to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. All right, friends, we're going to wrap this up quickly. One of the things you can do is prayer walk your school uh, and your community, praying for teachers and kids as they go back to school, uh, targeted prayers towards those school buses. All right, we'll be right back with Peter Cap. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.